Wisdom Eccentrics by Nakchang Rinpoche. Good evening. Chapter 34, Part 2. At that point, it was deemed that we had come to the conclusion of the discussion and that my points would be borne in mind. The conference then continued to describe the Gurkha Changlo Day as lay tantrikas, as if nothing had been said. I felt that venerable Tanavara was the one real tantrika there amidst the others who waxed knowledgeable on the subject. I found him entirely delightful. It was decided that Tanavaro should be allocated a set of tingsha and that he should clang them from time to time to facilitate short periods of silence. He accepted the responsibility and proceeded to carry out his role with splendid aplomb. It was marvellous to observe him choose his moments. He'd ring those tingsha just at the moments when the pontification looked likely to peek out. Then he'd make the silence last just a little too long for those who were keen to talk. This, for me, was the most enjoyable part of the conference. Venerable Tanavaro approached me later and told me that he considered me an ordained colleague and that he could not quite understand why my presentation on the matter was found so difficult to understand. I was delighted by Venerable Tanavaro's support and, not wishing to be boorish on the subject of the Gurkha Changlo, I decided to give up and not mention it again. There was no point in pressing my case in the basement of Babel as I'd come to think of the conference room. If people had no interest, I had no interest in boring them. The conference rolled on and I tried to sit and listen. One of the main obsessions of the core participants was placing limits on the Vajra master. To the credit of some teachers attending, this was deemed non-canonical, but we were overruled by the weight of opinion which demanded that Vajrayana must of necessity conform to the remit of Sutrayana. Someone brought up the question of Vajra masters of the past from the Kagyud school, such as Tilopa, Naropa, Marpa and Milarepa but it was deemed that such Vajra masters only existed in the past. There was no one now with the realisation to act in the extraordinary ways of those of the past. Now it was not possible for me to remain silent at that point. I have to say that Kyabje Dujum Rinpoche, Dungzi Trinli Norba Rinpoche and Kunzang Dorje Rinpoche are clearly their equal so I cannot accept such an idea. Again, my comment was ignored and some statement was made to the effect that the individual devotion of students for their lamas did not change the view proposed. We were given to understand that the view had some kind of supreme sanction from somewhere. One fellow read a paper to the group, which most people seemed to like. It was well researched in many respects, 
but had such an anti-Vajramaster agenda that I found it extremely difficult to appreciate. He spoke of the need to eliminate the over-idealization of lamas in Buddhism, if Buddhism were to survive in the West. Quite apart from his somewhat appalling linguistics, I wondered how such an aim would be achieved. It seemed that the only way to rid the West of the role of Vajramaster would be to make Vajrayana illegal. They tried that in Tibet at the beginning of the second spread and it failed. It failed even with the draconian measures they employed at the time, such as capital punishment for practicing the inner tantras. So what was the idea for the West? I was informed that Vajrayana was fine as long as it conformed to Sutra. Really? Electric guitars are permit permitted as long as they're kept below 5 watts. Cheese is permitted as long as it has no fat content. And so, I asked, would this require the editing of all Vajrayana texts? I was asked what I meant. Well, we'd need to remove all references to the Vajramaster if this over-idealization were to be avoided. So my question would be, how would you organize that when no one who respected Vajrayana texts would agree to it? The question was met with a resentful silence. We were again given to understand that the view had some kind of supreme sanction from somewhere. The subject was then regarded as closed. Then, just when I thought the situation was at its lowest ebb, one of the scholars present brought up another piece of sanctioned information for the conference to digest. Crazy wisdom was said to be a mistranslation of Nyom Mong Haruka, which was held to mean defiled Haruka. I had no argument with the translation, but pointed out that the Tibetan for crazy wisdom was Yeshe Cholwa. None of the scholars recognised that term, and it was decided that too few of the conference attendees knew Tibetan so it would not be useful to spend time on the subject. I had to point out, however, that the term they'd used was in itself mistaken. The actual term for non-dual madman is Myon Heruka, not Nyon Mong Heruka. But again, I was informed that such a discussion was too technical for those who could not speak Tibetan. I pointed out that I couldn't speak Tibetan either, but had a grasp of necessary technical vocabulary, so surely this was not too erudite a subject. I was told that my point had been taken and that the language of the discussion might warrant further research at some future point. That was the shape of things, and there was nothing I could do without causing a rumpus. Again, I let the matter drop. 
It would be possible to write a book with respect to how bizarre I found the basement of Babel. Suffice it to say that it was my first and last venture into the world of Western Buddhist teachers. There was, a no, there was no peer group to be found there, apart from venerable Tanavaro. There were people interested in the Gurkha Changlo in other spheres of Vajrayana. They were, however, too often Mahayoga Mashuganas, like the occultists in Tintagel, people who'd have done better in the Slytherin house of Hogwarts School of witchcraft and wizardry. They seemed fascinated by the correspondences between Western magic and Vajrayana and made parallels between Satanism and the inner tantras that I found tedious to the point of nausea. They were often hirsute, cosmetically challenged individuals who preyed on women. They majored in polishing their jaded charisma and attempted to hold court wherever anyone looked as if they might be impressed. I once, I never challenged them or made comment, but they always seemed to guess that I was some kind of infidel. I'd strayed onto their patch without the operative occult ordinance. I was a minister without portfolio, a nakpa sans grimoire. My sense of the Gurkha Changlo day was as alien to them as theirs was to me. What I loved was the free spiritedness and the spaciousness of view. I loved the sense in which Vajrayana could be lived within the ordinary fabric of society. I had no desire to be a magician or ritualist. I had no desire to find power in arcane procedures. I simply wished to bring the wind from the mountains into the lives of everyday family people. Everyday family people were, however, as much beneath the notice of those who wished they were celibate as those who seemed sexually incontinent. As well as being a Nakpa sans grimoire, I was a Western Buddhist teacher sans psychotherapy. I was also sans a few other things, sans political correctness, sans neo-puritanism, sans issues with dharma, and sans aversion to romance. A surprising number of Western Buddhist teachers who were married admitted to wishing they were celibate, and what I said about the Gurkha Changlo day made no difference. There was, however, the lush vegetation of the Himalayan foothills in which I rejoiced. When the basement of Babel was not in session, I took to rambling. I visited Yeshe Dorje Rinpoche's gompa. He'd passed away in 1993 and a statue of him sat on his throne. It was a good likeness and I made my prostrations. Three of my five Tsawai Lamas had now passed away and I was beginning to see the sand in the hourglass in the world around me. The picture was dissolving. 
I visited Kandro Tenzin Drolka and we were happy to see each other again. She and Shadro made friends immediately. We ate together and talked of old times, current times and future times. She would soon be moving to Yanglisho in Nepal, where Lama Gyaltsen and I had established a Nyingma retreat facility called Sogyo Gepodong. I was delighted that she would be moving there and we promised to visit her the following year. I decided that the best use of my time lay in showing Shardrol around. It was her first time in India and she needed to take some stories home. There were goats to be met on narrow tracks. They sometimes appeared through wisps of cloud and gazed at us with patent curiosity. We went to see the huge statue of Padmasambhava in the Dalai Lama's temple in Macleod Ganj and called in daily on Zilnyon Kagyeling, the Nyingma Gompa near the Seismological Observatory out on the Bagsunath Road. The practitioners there welcomed us and it felt marvellous to escape from the basement of Babel. There were undoubtedly some fine people at the conference, but the subjects that interested them held no joy for me. It was a relief to get some distance from Macleod Gange as the place had become horribly crowded. The beautiful Churton that once held preeminence in the little British hill station was now overshadowed by lugubrious Indian hotels. Up on the ridge where Zilngong Kagyeling was situated, there was a fine breeze and a wonderful prospect to the south where the hills melted into the distance. We were offered refreshment and, remembering my penchant for cold drinks, Nakpasonam, the son of Yeshedorje Rinpoche and Kandra Tenzindrolka, brought me a bottle of Sprite. Zonga Tongyal, an old student of Lama Yeshedorje Rinpoche, presented us with white scarves and we handed over a present and some money sent by his sponsors, Nordzin and Erdzin. I was glad that part of a world I remembered still existed, and that Nakpas and Nakmas, monks and nuns, together with lay adherents, could live together in community without there being a problem of any kind. This was the Nyingma world I loved. At the conclusion of the conference, I returned to Britain, and Shardrol set out on her own adventure in Tsopema. I hoped fervently that Kunzangdorje Rinpoche would be there, but that did not prove to be the case. C'est la vie. Shardrol wrote an extensive diary of her time in India, and I hope one day that she will publish it. It makes highly entertaining reading and is full of pertinent insights into human nature. One of her first experiences of just how strange India can be occurred on the way up to Macleod Gange by taxi. Before ascending onto the foothills, there was a long straight run of road. A tree had taken root in the middle of the road and no one had seen fit to remove it. The taxi driver honked his horn at it continuously from 500 yards distant. The tree obdurately refused to move in spite of incessant honking.
and the taxi driver swerved at the last moment to avoid it. Why did he do that? Chardrell asked. I don't know, I replied, but things like that happen in India. You'll get used to it.